Paul Simon looks kind of frazzled for a second, but literally does not break chords. He he basically just is totally like steely through that whole thing. Doesn't break character or anything. So I don't know. To- total pro move there. Yeah, consummate professional. What does our Garfunkel do? Was he already <laughs> went off stage? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where longtime friends, musicians get together to discuss a randomly selected album from Robert Dimery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This week, we've been listening to one of the more unknown albums from Paul Simon's catalog, which is an album called Hearts and Bones. Don't forget before we get started, if you dig what we're doing, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff helps us get seen on the various platforms and make sure our complaints are broadcast far and wide. Let's kick things off with a taste of what we've been listening to this week with the opening track, Allergies. Allergies to dust and rain. Maladies, remedies, still these allergies remain. My hands can't touch a guitar string, my fingers just burn and ache. My head at the seas with my bodily needs And my body won't give it a break My heart can't stand a disaster My heart can take a disgrace But my heart is allergic to the women I love And it's changing the shape of my face Allergies, allergies Something's living on my this is a notable episode uh, because we're joined by a special guest today. That guest is Marty Walsh. Marty's coming to us from Portland, Oregon, and is a longtime friend of the crew dating all the way back to college. He's also a lifelong musician who's played in a number of projects over the years. Uh, most recently is the drummer of former Portland psych pop band Fog Father. Let's go around the room and introduce ourselves with a quick tweet length introduction of this album. Let's uh, let's go ahead and start with our guest, Marty. So th- yeah, this album is, is one that I, I, I picked up on on vinyl at a goodwill a number of years ago and as a you know big paul simon fan i was like you know most of the stuff i've heard from this guy growing up it's all been really good stuff and this album is a little bit different than than all his other solo work um i would say that every song on this album has at least one good thing going on in it but overall uh, you know, if you look at the the personnel on this, there's about 30 different musicians playing on it. I counted 16 different engineers that participated on this album, as well as four different producers. And so I think the result is that the album kind of is, is disjointed. It sounds like almost like every track was recorded at a different place uh, and at a different time. And so it's just kind of different than all this other stuff. For instance, like Graceland is very cohesive. His his self titled solo album, his first one, Paul Simon, very cohesive. This one's just a little bit different, and so I'd say start with those ones, and and if you love Paul Simon, you'll end up getting into this one. You'd really have to like Paul Simon to get into this one, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, guys? It's Phil. Sure, you guys have heard me on the show before. My my tweet length review of this week's Paul Simon's Hearts and Bones. Uh, well, I want to talk about some alternative titles that I found for the album. Simon also considered calling it Songs About Nouns, Going Through the Motions, and Demos and Other Unreleased Rarities. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think we see why. Coming in with the snark early, Phil. I like it. I like it. All right. What about you, Rob? You know... Paul Simon has a lot of great songs, both from his time with Art Garfunkel and as a solo artist. These are not those songs. 
This is more like Paul Simon-themed college improv. I need a common ailment. Allergies. I Now I need an everyday object. Cars. Now a trite sentiment. <laughs> Think too much. You just need Colin Mockery from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway to you know help <laughs> help play it out. So fair enough. All right, Tom. Ah, I got a very succinct, actually, tweet length review here, which is uh, Paul Simon develops an allergy to good choruses. <laughs> oh, I think the re- honestly, I think most of the verses of the songs are actually pretty good. The choruses on this album are trash, though. He really does not land the plane when it comes to the choruses which is something he's actually pretty darn good at throughout the rest of his career. So it's a little bizarre that he fails consistently on this album with that. My tweet length review is songs are songs all over the world. (laughs) Similarly written. No, no, no. Um, My real tweet length review is I came across a bunch of reviews online that referred to this as a, some sort of like low key masterpiece or a hidden gem, quote unquote. I will agree that it's been hidden, but I think that's where the agreement ends for me. (laughs) Yeah, I would say right off the bat, let's dispel that hipster bullshit nonsense that this is Paul Simon's best work. The reason that people say it's his best work is because it's his least accessible work and they want to be like, oh, you like that bullshit that sounds pleasing and is catchy and has good lyrics. I like the stuff that's hard to like, and that's why it's the best album. Fuck that. This is not his best work. I, I could believe someone really genuinely deeply likes this album. I could even be have my arm twisted into believing that this is your individual person's favorite Paul Simon album. But it would be it would be hard to say that this is his best work. I, I kind of agree with everyone's sentiments so far, including Marty's, which is there is some stuff to like here. And I like Paul Simon. I agree. I wanted to like this record and maybe I'll even give it more chances after this. But I do feel like it's phoned in, like Phil said. Yeah, I agree. I think it suffers from... The fact that you're, I think you have a set of expectations when you turn on a Paul Simon record. I think say what you want. He's obviously one of the most accomplished songwriters, most celebrated singer songwriters of all time. Yeah, I think there's an expectation, not of a certain style, but that you're, you're going to get a certain um, amount of thoughtfulness. I, I think to me, what was interesting about this album is this was actually intended to be the great kind of revival album for Simon and Garfunkel. So they had obviously famously parted ways in, I think around 1970, they did their kind of solo thing throughout the 70s, although I'm not sure what Garfunkel did exactly, but I'm told that he did some some, some solo work thereabouts. But they came back together in 81 and did this huge concert in Central Park to like half a million people. And so they, they ended up actually doing a world tour right after the, this concert. And so this was supposed to be the big you know comeback for Simon and Garfunkel. They come back from the tour. They set out to make a, a record again. That was originally going to be titled "Think Too Much," which is probably why they put it on here twice. Um, but I'm still not sure why they did that. But once they got back into the studio, they remembered that they kind of hated each other and broke up yet again. And so Paul Simon basically scrubbed all of Garfunkel's harmonies and vocals from the album, rearranged all the vocals, released it under the title "Hearts and Bones." So there's a version of this out there where Garfunkel's on all. No, of there's dudes? not. There's 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 a version where this some random YouTuber made Art Garfunkel harmonies himself, but it's hard Get to imagine any song on this album with Art Garfunkel on it. And Alan, kind of alluding to what you're saying, there's an interview around the time this album came out with both Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel separately talking about it. And you can clearly hear Paul Simon's disdain for Art Garfunkel saying that, you know, put a harmony on it and Art Garfunkel would put a harmony on it. And Paul Simon would say, well, that's that's not the right harmony. And, and Art Garfunkel's commentary was basically, do you remember the song Bridge Over Troubled Water? You know, that was me that made that song. <laughs> I elevated your song, Paul, and I did the same with the songs you gave me for Hearts and Bones. Let's let's get it out of here, out of the way right now. Art Garfunkel is a fucking hack. Oh, it's true. And oh, yeah. yeah, as, oh, yeah, yeah. as stated by the fact that there's a guy on YouTube who's just like, I could just do the Art Garfunkel harmonies. It could have been fucking anybody doing the Art Garfunkel yeah, harmonies. And also, Not anybody could have yeah, been Paul And also, Simon. like, if you guys ever want to go to have the most boring podcast episode ever, do one of uh, Art Garfunkel's solo albums. There's like, there's, there'll be nothing to talk about. 
<laughs> Wait, does he does he even write songs or does he just cover other people? He, he he has I think he has a little bit of both. You know, a little bit about half and half on his solo work. And I've tried. I'm like, it can't be. I'm like, there's gotta be some gems in here, and there's not. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I don't know that I'd call him a hack, but I think the the idea of Simon, Simon and Garfunkel as a concept suggests that it's equal parts right Mm -hmm. that it's that it's not just paul simon and sometimes this other guy and when you watch him on stage i watched some of the the clips from the uh from that central park show back in 81 and it's just awkward he's just standing there i mean he's singing at times obviously but you know paul's playing all the music and garfunkel's just standing there with his hands in his pocket just sometimes singing and it's like does does he really need to be out front here but you know I guess he does. Uh, he did contribute a lot to the the specific sound from from that era. I suppose, and, and also he like he like he like <laughs> he like, good, he like looks good on an album cover standing next to Paul Simon. Sure. Oh yeah, they got they have like an Ernie and Bert thing going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Because he's like exactly. nine inches taller than Paul Simon. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, th- this it, this was sort of a, an interesting transition point in his career. So this was actually released in 1983. Um, as you can sort of deduce from our conversation so far, it was not a commercial success. Oh, I thought you were going to say you could tell it was released in 1983 by all of the fucking production values on this. Right. Yeah, the, synths, the synths and the vocoder and that kind of stuff. The obvious yeah, yeah. cribbing of the Andy Summers guitar sound. Right, right. <laughs> Although I think some of that was Nile Rodgers, but... That's we can talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, I think there was some duplication there. What's funny though is Garfunkel clearly felt like the fact that this didn't sell was because he wasn't on it. I one of the quotes I came across was too bad Paul didn't let me roll on, on Hearts and Bones. I guess he'd rather sell half a million copies of his own album than 15 million Simon and Garfunkel oh, records. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. So kind of fighting words there. Well, Paul really, luckily he was vindicated three years later when Graceland came out, right? Yeah, I would say so. I would say he, he, was, uh, he was vindicated. All right, let, let's get into to some of the tunes here. Um, let's, let's pick back up on the song Allergies that, that we started earlier. assume we dropped into the aldemiola prague solo that's 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 where i was gonna go immediately that that is the only redeeming quality of this song is that solo? it's good it's it is good good. it is good because i was like i was is that aldemiola it is is. yeah it is because that is that is probably the most unexpected moment I, i wish i could recapture that on or had recaptured that on any of the other tracks but listening to this the first track on the album I'm just kind of breezing along. It's super chill. Paul Simon, it's kind of in the background of my work. And then this ripping solo comes in. I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, it definitely makes you perk up your ears. And had and I thought of uh, I thought of guys like Aldi Mueller or McLaughlin, you know, and, and went and looked it up. And lo and behold, yeah, so it's it's pretty awesome. It's jarring, but it's awesome. Right. Agreed. And, and, and I went through and I was like, okay, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, you know, Paul Simon's music with Simon and Garfunkel has a lot of kind of metaphors and, you know, it's kind of a lot of storytelling. And so I was like, I'm going to read the lyrics. Maybe, maybe like, maybe this song's not about allergies, you know, maybe it's about <laughs> something else. And, you know, I got, I got to the line where he says, uh, allergies four times in a row at the end. Well, yeah, al- you know, no, no. The line where he says, where do al- where, where do allergies go when it's after a show and they want to get something to eat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're clearly not skilled in poetic analysis. Yeah, Marty. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> that one also stood out to me when I was listening to it, but not just cause it was bad. <laughs> I, assume that everything here is a metaphor for drugs because he was dating and soon to be married to Carrie Fisher, AKA princess Leia. And by the way, this is like, you know, return of the Jedi steel bikini era, princess Leia, Carrie Fisher. 
But oh, apparently yeah. she had a raging drug problem at the time. And so right. I got to imagine that he was also dabbling in lots and lots and lots of chemical substances. But, 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 but also, it's probably not that. It's probably just about like probably his just sniffles. Yeah. <laughs> As, when I heard this, my literal thought was, I should write a song about eczema. <laughs> because sometimes I get eczema on my hands and just yeah, you know, yeah, ladies yeah. they make my skin irritated. Yeah, right, right. I don't right. think that would fly. Or like, yeah, write fly. a song. Write a song about like gluten intolerance. You know, <laughs> <laughs> celiacs. Oh, they can sell it in Whole Foods. Pizza, <laughs> pasta. There's a, there's a there's this drug called Skyrizzy. And they oh, yeah. have a commercial that's like nothing is everything. Oh, that song! That song! I I walk around it's singing that song banger, all dude. the time. That's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. That's yeah. They've already reprised that song. Actually, could have version. been on this album, and it would. <laughs> 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 nothing is everything. Yeah, yeah. Track track eleven. Nothing is everything. Good lord. This song caused me to write down the note that if I didn't speak English, I would like this song a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, to me, this just really feels like, like, and honestly, it happens on a couple of tunes on this record. It feels like a writing prompt. It feels like he's sort of just trying to, like, shake loose of his old habits, which would bear serious fruit, you know, in, like, two years. You're right. It was in the early 80s. If you look at some of the albums that came out around the same time, you have, like, U2 and, you know, the police and the talking heads, you know, and you have all this new technology. And so when it starts out, you hear, like, a vo- vocoder it, yeah. and a synth and you hear a drum machine. You're like, all right, he's... You know, kind of hanging, hanging with what's going on around him, but then it kind of just doesn't go anywhere. But then he hits. They also hit those those tr- drum fills are the eightiest of the eighties yeah, that I've yeah. ever heard. That's, it, it is uh, the like so electric 80s. drums. The, the yeah. snare sound that rolls on the left side is pretty. It's pretty rough. Yeah, I, I have a note here that I think you guys will get a kick out of, which is uh, I personally would not release this song. <laughs> and, and, not have it be, and not have it be the first song on the first song on the album. You're like a new listener. I mean, You're like, okay, you start. Oh, I hadn't off. really considered the guitar solo. Like, if I recorded this song and it was my guitar solo, but I was stuck with the rest of the song, how would I feel? It's right. a, I it, it is a killer solo, and it bummed me out that Al Dimiolo, I don't think, is found anywhere else on this record. Then I, I kind of got pumped nope. briefly. But also, Al Dimiolo, if you go through his. 80s albums <laughs> you know there's not, you know i had the opportunity to see al Dimiola live once maybe about 10 years ago and i have never seen anyone on stage that was having more fun than his conga player oh, okay <laughs> i think you're saying more than him <laughs> so the same guy that did those 30 minute widespread panic uh percussion solos and it's such a it's such a it's such a kind of boring like like I don't suffer from allergies, you know, I have before, <laughs> but like, it's not a big deal, you know, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. They even incorporate the tritone in here. So the devil's interval to give it that little darkness. Yeah. I, I, I will say I, I did think at least he's like going for something here. It's, it's, it's a little different. It's non-traditional. I'll give him, you know, kind of A for effort to, yeah. to do something wow. a little different, but okay. it was, well, it's not a literal A. I yeah, mean, I mean, I'd give him like a, a C for effort. Expression. <laughs> <laughs> no, great, but grading the record on a curve, I think, is what you're what you're trying to say. I think this is one of the better songs on the record. It's just still not a strong song. Correct. Yeah. I, I did think the outro riff was, was kind of hot, you know, but that's, that's kind of all it was. Okay. Let's move on to the next song on our focus list, the title track called Hearts and Bones. Started a long time ago. The 
arc of a love affair Rainbows in the high desert air Mountain passes slipping into stones Hearts and bones Hearts and bones I think this is classic Paul Simon. It's a great song. In my opinion, every part of it is great. The production's great. The the you know, classic Paul Simon, lots of chord changes. Just great storytelling. I don't know. This song kind I, I, of moves me. I agree me. with you, Marty. I, I think, like, I heard this song. This is the second track on the record. So, like, after the allergies, I was like, oh, maybe maybe this is, like, headed in a great story. Like, you definitely see not only, like, where he's going with Graceland, but, like, where he's coming from, right? With some of, like, his or immediately post-Simon and Garfunkel stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. I also, like, if I wrote this song, this would be the best song I've ever written. Right? <laughs> of course. So like, this oh, song's yeah, great, yeah. right? Yeah, like, of course. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. What if you had written Allergies? Where would that fall in your... <laughs> right. uh, I would... I, 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 I Honestly, like, I feel like you would be like, I don't think we should be doing this one. I think this one's just not that good. Right? Like, I don't think it would leave the band room. You guys would be like, you gotta mic. work on the lyrics or something. That would be the feedback. It's just placeholder. So I, I agree that Hearts and Bones is the best song on the record. And particularly the lyrics, to me, actually achieve what Paul Simon is kind of known for and good at. This sort of metaphorical, sort of impressionistic painting thing. My complaint about the song and what makes it feel a little watered down, and I can't be the only person that felt this, is it sounds like three years later, he looked at this song and said, I should try reworking that, making it better, and then wrote Graceland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, yes. I kind of get that. Yeah, I n- never thought of that until now, but yeah. Well, it's funny because I my note for this song is that I feel like he took like nine different old Paul Simon songs and cut them all up and just smashed them together into this one song because it it is evocative of so much old Paul Simon stuff. But you're right that. In uh, Graceland, where he says, um, "Losing love is like a window in your ooh. oh yeah, yeah. it is yeah. totally totally yeah. specifically what I what gave me this really strong sense memory, and we should drop it in here is at the forty eight second mark in this song, he says something like traveling together. Yeah, traveling companion, and it sounds exactly like, like traveling companion from Graceland. Our traveling together in the sangre de Cristo. Blood of Christ Mountains in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly but both of those, this song and that song, are both about Carrie Fisher, though. So definitely, it, it, that is his traveling companion. That's true. I'm just saying it's 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 a little. I admit that the criticism might come off a little strange because I'm saying it's weighed down by his future work. So it's a, both a little unfair <laughs> and like completely fair in the catalog, right? <laughs> A new, a new, a song he would write later would be more successful than this one, and therefore I hold, hold it against this one. It's like, how dare you make me like Graceland slightly? Yeah, you know, well, it's one thing if you're going to reprise a song, right? If you're going to bring it forward to another album and put a different spin on it, but but just totally acknowledge that it's the same song. But I think to rework it as a yeah, I know of at least one other time a famous artist has done this. Uh, the Tom Petty song "Mary Jane's Last Dance." is the Tom Petty song, You're So Bad. It's as if Tom Petty was like, You're So Bad wasn't famous enough. I'm gonna write new lyrics to this song. And he did. It's like the it's it was... like it's like the monster mash guy who just like released like monster <laughs> mash like twenty <laughs> times with the different yeah, yeah, fun, totally. different uh-huh. lyrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well I was gonna say it's funny because also the Red Hot Chili Peppers apparently took that torch and ran with it and wrote that song Danny California, which is just Mary Jane's last dance. But about a girl from California instead of a girl from Indiana. <laughs> also, also, uh, heart, the song Hearts and Bones could not be improved upon by Art Garfunkel. There's no way. It's, it's <laughs> funny that you mention that because he, he this was one of the songs that he was going to be on. And I think that he had that Paul Simon had to rework this song because he didn't like the vocals that Garfunkel was trying to lay down. And in fact, after he basically gave Garfunkel the boot off this album. According to Garfunkel, 
Paul Simon called him and said, Hey, I'm scrubbing your vocals from the album. Oh, and I'm marrying Carrie Fisher Fisher next week. Do you want to come? And then according to Garfunkel, he said, I guess I was supposed to conclude that Paul is just the cutest guy I know. Oh yeah. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. These guys fucking hated each other. Oh yeah. It's great. They yeah. were like neighbors growing up or something. What's yeah, they're like childhood, the... childhood friends. Yeah, childhood yeah, friends. Yeah. Garfunkel's entire career is because of Paul Simon, though. Like, I can understand how he might be resentful about that in later times, but there's no way he, we're talking about him. Yeah, absent Paul Simon, uh, definitely not. But, yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of sad and maybe a little tragic. But you know what? Garfunkel probably is super loaded and lives a great oh, yeah. life, and he should be thankful well, I, for that. I, I and would not be a push back slightly. <laughs> I agree. He Garfunkel was without question the lesser of to even call it a half is generous. But those sounds that I think people love from the sixties that they did, he contributed a lot to those. Uh, that's so true. That's true. He he I definitely yeah, I agree with that. he's not he's not carrying yeah, his weight in the full sense, but at the same time, who knows? Maybe Paul Simon's songs wouldn't have had so much resonance. That's true. Even even the know. even the not to digress too much, but even the Simon and Garfunkel songs that don't feature Paul Simon at all. It's just Art Garfunkel, like April Come She Will, for example. That song wouldn't be as great, I think, with Paul Simon singing it instead of Art Garfunkel. But but it's also that idea. I think what even Alan Alan maybe what you were just alluding to is that we've talked about it before. Two individual voices in this world harmonizing together it's a little hard to reproduce that there's something ethereal happening when that happens Mm -hmm. and that created us and certainly that is a very memorable sound in the simon and garfunkel sound Mm -hmm. so rob do you think this would qualify as sonic alchemy or not quite (laughs) pure sonic alchemy simon and g-funk specifically yeah i think that's sonic alchemy (laughs) i would say that there is you have to take into account the timbre of the individual voices because some voices even if you're singing the exact same notes just wouldn't blend together in that same way that simon and garfunkel's voices blended together there's something to be said for the fact that they have different enough voices that they're distinct but they can still blend together very well um yeah i think they had like the john and paul thing going on to an extent not not as not as uh, accomplished but i think that the comparison i mean i mean vocally probably better but they weren't both equal contributors like John and Paul were, sure. you know. Just as a funny side note here, Art Garfunkel got arrested for marijuana possession twice, but in like 2004 and then again in 2005, which I just find to be hilarious <laughs> that like 80-year-old fucking Art Garfunkel is getting busted in New York for weed. Like, how do you this even get arrested no in sense. New York this for makes weed? No sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, they confused. Hey, broken window theory. You know, you got to crack down on the on the petty crime first if you want to, you know, really go after the big stuff. <laughs> yeah, you got to get those like geriatric Jews that are slinging weed on the street corner. That's how you start cleaning up Manhattan. It's the devil's lettuce. All right, let's uh, let's move this along to the song songs. Uh, plural. Let, let's tackle this this uh, think too much uh, saga. <laughs> song suite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a movement if you will <laughs> a few good lord again this song Think- this song the, these songs aren't bad you know and and also have the marimba going on which is like you talked about earlier kind of a, a you know pre graceland kind of vibe but i think these songs you know also are you know hearts and bones we all can agree is the best song on the album i hope I would say that Think Too Much 
is good. Also good. Think Too Much B, when it started, I was like, did I accidentally put on my daughter's playlist? Is this the Little Mermaid soundtrack? Dude, I literally, I swear to God, my first note is, is this under the sea? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my note is, the seaweed is always greener than somebody else's But you know life. how you can tell it's not under the sea? Because there's a baby goat sample. I kind of like that. I thought that was a baby human, but I guess it is a baby goat. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't have to pay the goat, so maybe they went went that direction. Well, this is is what's very interesting about these two songs to me, is Think Too Much B has the Under the Sea vibe, but Think Too Much A drops the typewriter instead of the baby goat. (laughs) A typewriter. Is that what that sound is? A typewriter sound effect is a bad starting point. Those two things, Phil, brought me to my notes on these songs, which is that Philip Glass was in charge of orchestrating this entire album. And so I listened to this album trying to remove Paul Simon's voice, his guitar playing, and the drums from it. And it sounds like a totally different album. And you can hear like kind of the production value of Philip Glass's contribution. And a lot of these songs have kind of cool stuff going on in the background, especially if you live with, uh, listen to it with headphones. I think you sort of alluded to it earlier, Marty. I think like, I think this is just a really weird use of technology. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like he probably had his hand on a sampler. It would really pay off that he knew how to leverage those like in a year or two when he gets all those samples from South Africa and makes Graceland. But I also feel like he's just like, he's just hungry to use a sampler Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Well, Marty, I find it funny that essentially what you're saying is that Philip Glass tried to make this not a Paul Simon album. <laughs> Take away Paul Simon's voice and guitar, and it's like a whole different album. Like, yeah, but it's a Paul Simon album. It's got Paul Simon's voice and guitar. Don't make it a Philip Glass album, because I'll tell you what, I wouldn't listen to a Philip Glass album. I don't find them very good. Okay, but I'm, I'm getting what Marty's laying down, which is you have to reconceptualize this as Paul Simon the experimenter, which I think would continue, the musical experimenter, which would continue for at least another decade, right? And I think he's he's kind of now known that way, whereas his persona in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. was more just a, a little bit of a straight-ahead songwriter and acoustic guitar player, and then he's moving into these other musical genres and technological experimentations, and that's ultimately, you know, that's, that's the Graceland era. He was most successful with it there, but he did it a few more times, I think. Yeah, but I still don't think that it took out the essential Paul Simon-ness of it in those albums, right? And I feel like this album just doesn't sound much like a Paul Simon album in certain places. The the song that I think is just so quintessentially Paul Simon, and I actually kind of like, and I've been listening to before this album, is that Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. I like that song, but that's so quintessentially Paul Simon. It's like, I have this one line that I wrote that I love, and I just say it again and again and again. It means nothing. But for some reason, it's weighted with meaning because I just repeat it so much in this like very delicate voice that I have. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that point. I think for me, I'm okay with it not sounding like a Paul Simon album. Like I, I don't need things to sound the way I expect them to sound. What what I struggled with was that he's a, his like core competency, I guess, for lack of a better word, is his songwriting. He is a songwriter through and through. And when that part of it is is lacking, that's when I feel like the bottom just kind of drops out of all of it. And he doesn't have to sound like Paul Simon or or his old songs. But if I feel like that what he brings most to the table isn't there, it just feels like a little bit flat to me. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening on this song. But Marty, I do agree. Like there, it's it's sort of like a potentially less than the sum of its parts situation where there's a lot. I mean, there's there's great production. It there's great musicianship. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of cool uh, pockets of things happening. It just it doesn't all, it doesn't all hang together for me. And I, I also think, <laughs> can someone explain to me why this this is an obvious question? Why is think too much B before think too much A? 
Is, is there yeah, that's weird. a reason for that? Just don't think too much about it, Alan. Don't think too much about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah your brain is kind of taking a seat behind your face right now. Yeah. <laughs> God. I mean, again, like, Paul Simon has that, we've talked about with Bob Dylan, that ability to, like, have a bunch of nonsense lines, and then he kind of gets you with that sucker punch of, like, oh, poignant. And a lot of these songs were just missing that poignant line that I was like, oh, yeah, you brought it all back together with that one, Paul. You took me on a journey. Nah, a lot of these are just dumb. And my only note is that he should have thought more about the course. We're still talking about still talking about Think Too Much? Yeah, I think Think Too Much B is kind of a sweet, personal, kind of a lullaby feeling. It's an, it, I, think it's, I think it's kind of a nice song. Think, think Too Much A is different. It's more 80s sounding. It's more like... Are they the same lyrics in both? No, partially. Similar. <laughs> yeah, similar. They're not. They're not exactly but, but the same. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think "Think Too Much" A was yeah, actually yeah. the first of. So in in the record format, this was the first song off side B, and I think it gives a little bit of energy and sort of like sets a decent tone for the rest of the record if you're listening to it that way. I think this was one of the songs that had Nile Rodgers playing guitar and playing that really. I don't know if it's like staccato is the right so who, term. Who's Nile really, Rodgers for uh, us who don't know who, who the hell that is? <laughs> he's a he's a composer, producer, guitar player. He's he's produced like all kind. I don't I don't have the list in front of me, but um, he's his work is is fairly extensive. I think he still tours with. His he also has like Marcus Miller right playing now. bass on a lot of that yeah, uh, stuff as well. Like, he did a lot of like disco and like studio 54 sort of stuff like bootsy collins so uh, he did like sugar hill gang Le freak yeah marty i bet if i i bet if you looked up a picture of him you would recognize him because he's been a, a talking sure. head on a lot of well, what's his name niall rogers co-founder chic baby <laughs> Yeah, I think he's played on David Bowie. Oh records. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, that clicks now. That makes sense. I can see this guy playing that. Yeah. All right. Let, let's go to the uh, the set piece of, of the album. <laughs> <laughs> the, the metaphorically dense cars are cars. Oh God. Cars are cars. All over the world Cars are cars All over the world Similarly made Similarly sold In a motorcade Abandoned when they're old Cars are cars All over the world Cars are cars All over the world Cars are cars all over the world Engine in the front Jack in the back Wheels take the front Pinion and a rack Cars are cars All over the world Cars are cars All over the world But people are strangers They change with the curve From time zone to time zone As we I want to I want to get this out of the way right right away. I I looked up cars are cars lyrics meaning to go to one of those <laughs> websites that has like you know so it's a songmeanings.com. It's like your search and has like, returned zero results. <laughs> yeah, your like computer on songmeanings.com. <laughs> they have literally fucking everything. I shit you not. I looked up the meaning behind the lyrics for Limp Bizkit's Nookie, and there were like multiple things about the lyrics. Literally zero results for meanings about cards or cards. It's like I got nothing. I can't give you any analysis of this. This is so bereft of any creativity. I mean, I, I think I think this song is worse than allergies it's like the whole idea is cars are cars but people are different than cars (laughs) (laughs) ed wait did you know did you know that they make cars in different places (laughs) yeah and he also is like as as a car guy you know he's like uh you know engine in the front trunk in the back that is not Accurate for all cars. <laughs> 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 you still have rack and pinion. <laughs> yeah. 
I've got a note here that says, imagine how much worse this could sound if it didn't have the benefit of Paul Simon's voice and melody skill. Imagine Eddie Vedder doing this. Or the dude <laughs> from the yeah. Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. That's, okay. a good, that's a good point. Imagine like anyone. Imagine like Frank Sinatra doing it or anyone. You know? <laughs> It could be worse somehow. Yeah. My note on this is this is the most phoned-in bullshit I've heard since Eric Crapton's Willie and the Handjive. I think that it, it's at approaching that level of phoned-inness. Not quite as offensive, but... I wrote, I wrote this is what writer's block sounds like. And, like, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest fan of the record, but up until this point, I was pleasantly listening along with this in the background. I'm talking about the first playthrough. And then this came on. And I was captivated, but it was like watching a club comic bomb. I was embarrassed <laughs> for him. Yeah. Ser- serious question: Would he perform this live? Let's let's see. Oh God! There's no way. I, There's no way. I have another question: Why did he do those? You can drive him on the left. You can drive him on the right. Voices. What? What was that? Did he turn it? It turned into like a like a children's song for like half of a second there. So, Phil, while you look up as to whether or not this yeah. is a, a mainstay of Paul Simon's live there is show. A, there is a Reddit thread called Paul Simon, Cars or Cars. Is this Paul's worst recorded song? <laughs> I think the answer to that is yes. That, yes. I assume this is why you mentioned that he married Carrie Fisher right around the time of making this. They were divorced shortly after the release, and I assume this song is the reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I, I, I ran the numbers, of course. Uh, 195 second song. The word cars, plural, appears 44 times. He says the word car two more times as a singular. So, but I did it, I ran off just 44 times. That means that every 4.4 seconds, there is a the word cars shows up in the song, and that is just too many goddamn times. It's almost like he's it's almost like he's never owned a car before, and so maybe that that might explain <laughs> like something about it you know it's like oh a car i've never had a car because i've always been driven around i don't i don't know i would love to, i would love to talk to him if i ever if i ever see him in an airport bathroom i'm just gonna ask him <laughs> just accost him what the fuck happened with this yeah, song? Hey, Paul, what the hell is up with the cars your car song <laughs> well i think he had to have been angling for some kind of car commercial money Maybe, because, yeah well i can't think of any other any other reason for this i think what I found equally or doubly appalling about this song is obviously the lyrics are pure shit, but the everything about it, the, the it just did not age well at all. It the the production choices are shit. The the chords suck. It just it's yeah. I will say though though Alan, there is at the at maybe thirty seconds before the song ends. Again, if you if you take him out of the song. There's a really cool kind of orchestrated thing with car horns and doors closing and stuff that is cool for about 20 seconds towards the end of the song. You're, you're describing noise. That's what it, you're describing. No, just, it's not noise, though. It's kind of like a weird... It's probably, again, Philip Glass doing something. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, like, yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. orchestrated sounding. If, I don't know if you, you can pull it up at some point and chop or paste it in there somehow but there's a cool there's one little cool part in that song only one yeah we'll drop that in for the for the folks out there Before, just so you guys know, he definitely played it a couple of times in 83. There's a couple of live versions on YouTube, including at least one with Art Garfunkel. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, when was that? August 22nd, 1983, in Vancouver with Art Garfunkel. Maybe that was the final straw of their yeah. relationship. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, you should have thought just a little more about this one. Oh... Yeah, this is that's that's I mean, that's just a bad song. Okay. All right, let's uh bring it on home with our last track, The Late Great Johnny Ace.
was reading a magazine and thinking of a rock and roll song. The year was 1954 and I hadn't been playing that long when a man came on the radio and this is what he said. He said I hate to break it to his fans, but Johnny Ace is dead. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's a. This is a pretty. It's a. It's a. It's more classic Paul Simon kind of storytelling. Tells a story of Johnny Ace, uh, John Kennedy, John Lennon. I have a soft spot for anything about John Lennon just because I love him, and and I kind of try to put myself in that. Especially the lyrics about hearing that John Lennon died and closing down a bar kind of makes gives me the feelies a little bit, you know, just because I imagine for. Any famous musician at that time was probably very weird. And so, yeah, this song, again, is like, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the album. I don't think any two songs on the album fit well together or make sense together. Uh, but again, this is, you know, you can tell it's a Paul Simon song. And I think it's, you know, pretty good. I actually have this down as this song is the perfect encapsulation of the entire album. Because the song kind of doesn't know what it wants to be in and of itself. There's like a couple of different parts that seem a little kind of smashed together. The orchestration at the end is by far the best part because it's the it's the only part that knows like what it's trying to do and what it's trying to be. But the rest of it just seems eh, just kind of a little disjointed. I like the song. I like the lyrical content, but I don't think it was executed very well. Well, but what's funny is, and I, I think to even double down on your point, I do think that part is really, the orchestrated part is really beautiful. That's Philip Glass again. In and of itself, it's beautiful in a vacuum, but it's it's out of place. I think it's out of place in the song. I think it's out of place as a, the closer to an album that has a lot of kind of upbeat music to it. And so, yeah, I, I agree that it's it's kind of a microcosm of the album as a whole. We should say that this guy, Johnny Ace, I had never heard of him, but he was a singer who accidentally shot himself with a loaded gun. Smooth move. Well, it was Russian Roulette, wasn't it? That's what I had read. I had never heard of him until looking this up. What I read is that he was just playing around with it, kind of like the guitar player from Chicago, and thought it wasn't loaded. But maybe there's some debate about that. I don't know. So, Rob, are you implying that Paul Simon is uh, shooting no, himself no, no, in the no, head no, no. by putting on this album? I thought this song was just was just fine. I, a lot a lot of the songs, and this was one of them, were kind of just passable. I, I agree. The lyrics kind of landed a little better. At least his whatever his metaphor was, it kind of worked, right? Because it was about musicians passing. It was about uh, sorrow. We're getting shot, you know. Yeah, it's about getting shot. Yeah, exactly. I I also read something that when that they did perform this at that Simon and Garfunkel in Central Park concert, maybe for the first time, and that just coincidentally during this song, some fan like rushed the stage, and it really freaked Paul Simon out because the song's all about musicians dying and assassinations and such. I did see that clip too. It was pretty wild. You should you should check it out if you get a chance. What's funny, and I totally stole this from one of the comments, but when the guy comes up, Paul Simon looks kind of frazzled for a second, but literally does not break chords. He he basically just is totally like steely through that whole thing. Doesn't break character or anything. So I don't know. To- total pro move there. Yeah, consummate professional. What does our Garfunkel do? Was he already <laughs> went off stage? <laughs> With his hands in his pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Counting his money. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, the one thing that really, really bumped me on the song, two minutes and 44 seconds in, they do the doom synth in the background. They kind of like, that like comes in. And it almost bumped me retrospectively because then at the end when they have the whole orchestra and they have the cello and they like all these strings that could have given you that same sort of doom underpinning sound. It made me annoyed that they used the weird doom synth instead of just using that, that the string section that they clearly had beforehand in the song. Christmas time 
those two things didn't mix very well together, even though they existed in different parts of the song. And I think it lent to a lot of that sort of disjointed feel that I got from it. I think the snare drum echo sounds cool. And after talking about people getting shot, I think it sort of sounds like a gun, a gunshot. I did not think of that. The classic Steve Gadd, Steve Gadd gunshot snare drum. Is that is that in the liner notes that way? No, 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 no. Steve, Steve, that's on the sample pad. Steve Gadd is a beast. Yeah, there's great musicians on on this on this record. I mean, it's it's definitely a a professionally done effort. Well, aside from the lyric, songwriting, execution, delivery, (laughs) but otherwise. And cover photo, like what the fuck's up with that cover oh, photo? That ain't thank good you for bringing that up. What the oh, fuck that's, yeah. is the cover? Is it a Saturday Night Live reference? That's kind of what it looks like. I Somebody don't know. suggested, like when we were talking, offline it looks like the intro, week. like a Saturday Night Live intro photo that they have of, like you know, back back in the. But it, that was like. And this week's musical guest, Paul Simon. Like, yeah, yeah. He nailed it. Great job, Tom. <laughs> but it's yeah. he's he's not a particularly striking figure. That doesn't mean he shouldn't put himself on his album covers, but there's just he's got this like Jerry Seinfeld kind of look going on with the tie and then the the weird 80s font. It's just yeah, there's it's a, cringy. There's a picture of Paul Simon I've seen where it's probably like post Graceland where he's like wasted and he's like sitting between like two gorgeous models and they're like, you know, six one. And it's just funny. It's just a funny picture. Cause he's wasted. Like, well, that's funny. Cause there's an, one of the covers from one of the art Garfunkel albums is art Garfunkel sitting between two models, <laughs> which is a rip off of that Leonard Cohen ladies man album. No shit. Yeah, or at least they look really similar. Death, death of a ladies' man. Hmm. I mean, Garfunkel's just flexing whenever he can. You know, let's let's face it. <laughs> I think I like Garfunkel's style here. <laughs> like his approach. But yeah, the album Breakaway. Breakaway, yeah. Yeah, it's like like a you know. Art Garfunkel getting kissed on the cheek with one lady and another lady lighting a cigarette on the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The picture of Paul Simon. Paul Simon doesn't look nearly as sober. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. All right. Well, I I think I know which direction this is going to go, but as a matter of uh, formality, the time has come to render a verdict on whether or not this belongs on the list and whether you should listen to this album before you die. Let's kick it around the room. Let's start with you, Marty. Does this belong on the list? I, I think so. I mean, the list is a thousand albums. I guarantee you there's at least a hundred albums on that list that I dislike more than this one. So yes, it belongs. Good thing Marty's vote doesn't count. So <laughs> <laughs> It's a ceremonial vote. All right, Phil, what do you think? I, yeah, so it's, so Marty, I like your logic, but I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Obviously, you know, Graceland is, is you know, that's not, not a top thousand. That's like a top 10, top 20 record. But I, I don't think other than the title track, Hearts and Bones, I don't think there, you know, there's really, I don't think there's really something to sink your teeth into here without, without you know, one or two really key items to anchor this i feel like hearts and bones is a, is a pass for me so that's a, that's a no on hearts and bones before we move on to the next vote can we just address for a second how phil says graceland weirdly it says Do graceland say every time every time you say graceland as yeah. opposed to graceland like uh yeah, he says yeah. it like uh you know like a city yeah yeah like you're saying it's like newark instead of newark like or lancaster yeah. Today, you know? yeah vineland just gonna point out you've been dropping graceland as graceland this entire podcast and i just you know well, funny enough paul simon was born in newark new jersey so nice uh close the loop on that one all right Rob, what do you think? It's going to be a no for me for a lot of the reasons described. It's too much of a hodgepodge, and I think it represents maybe not a low point in an important artist's career, but definitely a lot of experimentation that didn't really, in my opinion, go anywhere from here. 
So it's pieces of the past, as we talked about. It's some pieces of what would be his future. I happen to know that his first solo album and Graceland are both also on the list. I find them to be much worthier listens if you're trying to understand what Paul Simon is about as a solo artist. So I think you can safely skip this one. Tom, let's say you. Who's going to join me? Oh, not me. No, no. <laughs> you might be you're on an island here, buddy. <laughs> I got to say, a lot of times with an album that I don't particularly find to be that sonically pleasing to me, I like to look at it and say, contextually, did it lead somewhere important? Or was it a very important album in the career of this artist? And I don't think that this album qualifies on either front. Um, like you said, Rob, it's a start of experimentation, but... I don't think that it's I don't think that it's the case that you couldn't have Graceland if you didn't have this album. Uh, I think he'd have gotten there. You know, this is just a step in the process, not an integral step in the process. So I'm going no. Overall, you know, listen to Hearts and Bones this is a great song. There might be one or two other ones that you'd like off that album, but it's not the juice is not worth the squeeze overall. Yeah, so I'm going to say no as well. I think in some ways, I think this is like textbook inessential. And what I mean by that, that's going to sound harsher than it really is. But I, I think for a list like this, you're talking about albums that are, are must listen. And Paul Simon is clearly must listen. And I agree with everything said earlier. His self-titled album is is one of my all-time favorites. Marty, I'll actually give you credit for kind of turning me onto that album back in the day. Too late. Too late. Too late, bro. You, you're... Yeah. <laughs> All right, actually, this belongs on the list. My bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Graceland is good, too, as they say. Um, but <laughs> clearly, there are worse albums on the list, right? I mean, Kid Rock is on the list. So I, I think yeah, I, mean, come I, on. I, I can't really go by that logic. But I, I think I said this earlier that, again, his his bread and butter is songwriting. And I think it's just noticeably absent on this album. And I do just can't justify defending this as as a must listen album there's enough paul simon on the list i think you can certainly skip this one all right well marty sorry we brought you on here just to you know back hey, it's okay the corner I, st- I stand i stand by my opinion <laughs> all I'm right i'm gonna go put it i'm gonna i'm gonna put it on right as soon as we're done this and listen <laughs> to it again <laughs> nice. cars on repeat oh, yeah good for you that that'll be in the next clockwork orange movie just listening to cars on repeat. Also, we can't let it go without mentioning that exactly the five of us, this is the first time this has happened on the podcast, the five of us currently talking did go to the studio together to record songs as a fivesome. And those songs have not oh, yet yeah, seen true. the light of day, but I no hope that shit. one day, inshallah, they will. That was a lot of fun. That, that was so much fun except for getting yelled at. <laughs> because Rob... Because Rob took something out of the pool and I f- took the heat for it. <laughs> yeah, well, next time we'll have to track some covers. We could do Cars or Cars. We could do All She Wants to Do is Dance. I will sign up to go cover Cars as Cars right now. That sounds like a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, be a good result of this podcast. Here's a funny story about that recording, though, is the song Janine that was written, that Rob wrote for that. I think you wrote that, right, Rob? Yeah. That Mega now plays somewhat regularly to at least give some life to to oh wow these songs. Marty, you came to see us play once, and when you heard that song, you forgot that you even played on that. You were just like, "What the fuck is this? Is this, is this like a Doctor Dog cover or something?" No, I no, come on, I no, know that song. No, 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 no. Yeah, you, come it, on. I, I think it had been so long that I, mean, no. I could be thinking of something else, but. I don't know. I, I would have known that. I remember that shit. Well, for the audience, well, we recorded, I think, five tracks. I say we get together in 2023 and record those other five. Let's do it, boys. Sounds good. Are, are you going to be back on this uh, side of the ocean? That's right. Yeah, I'm coming back. Nice. They let me back. Well, I, I, owe, I owe you all a San Francisco <laughs> visit. Also, also, one other thing. We're all in the same fantasy football league, and Alan... Your team is so bad. Last place, haven't won a game. Listen, <laughs> come on, you, do better. You, you you might think concussions are a joke, but it's serious business. <laughs> all right, all I right, think you should right. you should really take this a little more seriously, Marty. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, sorry, Paul, you didn't make the list this time, but I think you're doing okay for yourself. 
But, dear listener, what do you think? Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Let us know at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. If your email is witty enough or uh, dismissive enough, we may put you on the air. So uh, give us what you got. The only thing that remains now is to determine what we're going to spend the next week listening to. So let's kick it over to Tom and, and fire up that old albinator. All right. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you, Marty, for sticking around with us, having a good time here. I got the Albinator ready to go. Let's see if we can get that Art Garfunkel solo work as our next album we're going to listen to. Drum roll, please. Next week we will be listening to. All right. I Never Loved a Man the Way That I Love You by Aretha Franklin. That is exciting. That sounds really good. Yeah, that's uh, that's some heavy heavy hitting business right there. Also had a contentious relationship with our Garfunkel, from what I remember. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Aretha she was Franklin. always like, "Your your backups are way too busy on this track." Yeah, you've never heard Franklin and Garfunkel. Where have you Franklin been? and Garfunkel are like, yeah, seriously, they redefined the '60s. Come on, guys. Well, that'll be a good one. Looking forward to that one. All right. Well, thanks again, Marty, for for joining us. Appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. I'd I'd love to come back sometime. It's a lot of fun. You got it. All right. And with that, I've been Alan. I've been Phil. I'm Rob. I've been Tom. And I've been Marty. Boosh. Boosh.